This morning, I would like to start out by sharing with you the story of the three trees. The tale of three trees. Once upon a time, on a mountaintop, three trees dreamed of what they wanted to become when they grew up. I want to hold treasure, the first tree said. I will be the most beautiful treasure chest in the whole world. I want to be a strong sailing ship, the second tree said. I will be the strongest, biggest ship in the world. I don't want to leave this mountaintop at all, the third tree said. I want to grow so tall that when people look at me, they will raise their eyes to heaven and think of God. I will be the tallest tree in the world. One day, three woodcutters climbed the mountain with a swoosh of the first man's axe. The first tree fell. With a swish of the second man's axe, the second tree fell. And with a slash of the third man's axe, the third tree also fell. This is a read-along video loop, so it's coming. (laughs) Told you it was coming. (laughs) The first tree rejoiced when the woodcutter brought him to a carpenter shop. But the busy carpenter was not thinking about treasure chest. Instead, his work-worn hands fashioned the tree into a feed box for animals. The second tree smiled when the woodcutter took him to a shipyard. But no mighty sailing ships were built that day. Instead, the once strong tree was made into a simple, small fishing boat. Now the third tree was really confused when the woodcutter cut her into strong beams and left her in the lumberyard. What happened, the once tall tree wondered. All I ever wanted to do was point towards God. Many, many days and nights passed. The three trees nearly forgot their dreams. But one night, one golden starlight 
poured over the first tree as a young woman placed her newborn baby in the feed box. And suddenly the first tree knew he was holding the greatest treasure in the world. And then one evening, a tired traveler and his friends crowded into the old fishing boat and went out into the lake. When a storm arose, the second tree shuddered. But when the traveler stretched out his hand and said, peace, the storm stopped. And suddenly, the second tree knew he was carrying the king of heaven and earth. One Friday morning, the third tree was startled when her beams were yanked from the woodpile. She shivered when she was dragged through an angry crowd. She shuddered when soldiers nailed a man's hands to her. She felt ugly and harsh and cruel. But on Sunday morning, When the sun rose and the earth trembled with joy beneath her, the third tree knew God's love had changed everything. It had made the first tree beautiful. It had made the second tree strong. And every time people thought of the third tree, they would think of God. That was better than being the tallest tree in the world. You know, it's funny how each one of those trees had, had a grandeur plan for their life. They knew what they wanted, and they thought that they knew what was best for themselves. It's also funny to me how often that our plans for our lives seem to have kind of the same things. We, we think we know what we want, but we're a lot like those trees. I want to be a beautiful treasure chest. I want to be a mighty boat. I want to be the tallest, straightest tree ever. I know for us, it's, it's not quite the same. It's more like, I want to make the most money, or I want to own the biggest boat, or I want to be the sharpest, strongest leader at my company. Now understand, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be our best and to give our best. I just think that like the trees, we sometimes sell ourselves short because we don't allow God to shape us into what we could really be. Let me explain it to you this way. I had been a youth sponsor at the First Church of Christ in Eustis, Florida for about two years. And and at that same time frame, I had also graduated from a local clown school, also in Orlando. I'd been offered a scholarship to study the art of clowning, if you will, at Ringland Brothers Clown School in Venice, Florida. Okay? True story. (laughs) It's funny because my next line is I was seriously considering (laughs) clown college. So it's just... I know, it, it's, it looks better on paper than when you say it, but I was, I was seriously considering going to Ringland Brothers Clown School in Venice because I wanted to be a clown. 
And, and I was considering that when Steve Randall and Chris Shonar, who are the minister and youth minister from the church in Florida, and they began talking to me about becoming a youth minister. And they began saying, saying things to me like, you know, you, you just got such a way. You've got such a personality. You've got all these great things. You should, you should check out youth ministry. No, no, I don't know about that. I don't know. It's, you know, I don't know if I want to do that. And it, it's funny because I, I went through all these reasons. Um, and, and the main reason, but after much prayer, I got to tell you this before I get to the end. After a lot of prayer, a couple visits to the college, I did, in fact, go to Florida Christian College. But the, the main reason that I wanted to go and be a part of Ringling Brothers and run away and join the circus, if you will, is that I wanted to travel. I wanted to see the United States. I wanted to go all over this great country of ours. But it's funny because I was like one of those trees. I wanted to be a clown. I wanted to be in the circus. I wanted to travel. But I can tell you this, as a minister, in following God's plan for my life, I have traveled more and visited some of the most amazing places that I would have never seen had I been stuck in a little circus. I have been to places. There's only a few states here in the United States that I haven't been to. I've been, I've been to some of the most beautiful places in Mexico and London and, and some of the most amazing places out in Haiti. I've traveled through parts of the Mediterranean. And then the point is this, that in my short-sightedness for my life, my plan, my life goal was to travel the United States. God's plan was to take me around the world. It's just a small example, but just like God's plan for the trees in this story, his plans far surpassed anything they could ever imagine. Oh, how we resemble these trees. We plan and plan and plan and, and God laughs. Or maybe he weeps at the plans that we make. Remember, Emmanuel, God with us. He came, but he came with a plan. And, and that's what I want to share with you today. He came as he promised. He came to rescue us. He came to save us. This Christmas, don't miss it. We learned back in Malachi, and, and we, had, we had an altar up here on the stage. And the altar had a cross built into it. And, and we learned in Malachi that the Israelites, there it is, the Israelites had forgotten the importance of worship. They'd forgotten that God was to be the center of all the worship. They'd forgotten how important it was. Their hearts had become hardened concerning the sacrifices that they brought and the way that they lived their lives. They didn't realize the cross was part of the sacrificial plan from the beginning. And even, even as the 400 years of silence came to an end, they were focused on what they thought they wanted in a Savior King that they almost missed it. They wanted a Messiah to rescue them, but they looked for him to rescue them from worldly issues. You know, he... He came. He came as he promised. Remember the words to the Michael W. Smith song? That day when we had the manger up here and, and the cross was part of the manger. And a couple of folks said, that's a, that's a really nice cross, except the, the one leg is too long. But the whole, the whole intent was that the cross would be seen as part of the manger. That Michael W. Smith song, hope that you don't mind our manger. How I wish we would have known. But long awaited, holy stranger, make yourself at home. Bring your peace into our violence. Bid our hungry souls be filled. Word now breaking, heaven's silence. Welcome to our world. I love these next two verses. Fragile fingers sent to heal us. 
tender brow prepared for thorn, tiny heart whose blood will save us, unto us is born. So wrap our injured flesh around you, breathe our air and walk our sod, rob our sin and make us holy, perfect son of God. But it's a whole different picture on the birth of Jesus Christ. I'm so glad he came. He came as he promised. Isaiah even prophesied about it in chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. He says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. He came. And because he came, we will no longer walk through life alone with God watching from a distance. Because he is here among us. And he keeps his word. He didn't just come to live among us and, and to show us his perfection so that, that it would, he would amplify our shortcomings. That's not why he came. He came to rescue us. Remember the problem with being rescued is that sometimes we're just so caught up. We get so caught up and, and we're drowning in sin that we don't know we need rescued. It, it's kind of like this. I grew up in Florida. You go out in the ocean and you get out there and you're, you're splashing around in the ocean. And, and the next thing you know, you're goofing off. And, and then all of a sudden you're in over your head and there's a riptide current, which is taking you away. It's the same thing. We, we get out here in the ocean of sin and we kind of splash around a little bit and we goof off when our parents aren't looking or, you know, when we think we're alone and, and we, we just do whatever. And then we're in over our heads. Then then we're trying to get out of this sin by ourselves. But that riptide current is now it's like a current of guilt and it comes through. And instead of reaching out to be rescued, we just kind of go with the flow of that riptide of guilt. We, we just kind of flow with it. It's easier because if I don't confront my sin problem, then no one has to know that I have one. So we just go through life kind of treading the sin water and and we come into church. We're kind of treading water. Sometimes when we come in. How you doing? Doing good. <laughs> Got my head up above water. It's what we do. It's awkward. It's what we do, though. It's trying to go through life, treading in the sin water, trying to keep our heads out high enough that we can give reassurance to the people around us. I'm okay. I'm just fine. Being rescued is a tricky thing. Because by allowing yourself to be rescued, you're admitting that you can no longer do it on your own. And the problem is this, that, that when you're the one who needs rescued... Sometimes, because of the world we live in, we see it as an admission of, of weakness. When, when we're the one that needs to be rescued, we, it's an embarrassment that we need to be rescued. But I can tell you this. There is nothing to be embarrassed about wanting to live and take another breath of air when you were drowning. Now, the circumstance that got you there might be funny. You had no business, you know, surfing through the culvert ditch or whatever, the, the reason, the story later might be a good one. But when you're in that moment, when you're drowning and all you're looking for is a hand to pull you out, there is no shame in wanting to breathe and wanting to be alive. Likewise with sin, there should not be embarrassment for us to say, hey, you know what? I don't want to swim in this river of sin any longer. I don't want to be in these dangerous waters. 
And when we do that, the same Jesus who reached out and pulled Peter up from the stormy sea, the same God who had the giant fish come and rescue Jonah from what would have been a watery grave for sure will also rescue you from drowning in sin. Question is, will we let go of what's pulling us under so that, so that he can pull us back up? He came as he promised, and he came to rescue. But more than that, he came to save. And in coming to save, he did a lot of things. He had to suffer. He had to die in order to give us life, in order to heal us. He came to forgive us. He came to purify us, to transform us. He came to bridge the gap between God and man. He also came to bring fire and judgment and to overcome the world and to bring freedom. He came to destroy the works of the enemy. He came to conquer death. He came to save us. When no one else would, he came. And what I'm about to tell you, I said last week, but I want to share it with you again because it's foundational as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. We must have a clear and precise understanding of why Jesus came to earth so that we can align our lives with his divine purpose. The primary purpose of Jesus' coming has been declared to us by the angel Gabriel when he spoke to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. He says, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He came to save us from our sins. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It seems that in our world today, the popular gospel is forgiveness of sin. Every preacher on TV wants to get everyone forgiven and for a small donation to their network, they can guarantee it. You can have forgiveness and prosperity. It's so easy to be forgiven too, depending on who you're listening to. You just, you know, say this prayer or say these words or better yet, and I actually have this in a file drawer in my office. Hold this green prayer cloth of forgiveness while you write your check and mail it to our ministry and you will have forgiveness and God will bless you. I can't make this stuff up. That's the message of forgiveness that our world is putting out to people, that people are buying into. Everyone wants to preach forgiveness and not salvation from our sin as the angel said it should be. He will save his people from their sins. You see, here's the thing. Forgiveness is easy. But salvation? Salvation is messy. Salvation was ugly. Salvation. True salvation. This requires a sacrifice. From the very beginning, the altars of the Lord were of sacrifice. All through these things, this requires sacrifice. Christ came because the blood of bulls was no longer sufficient. He came as he promised. He came to rescue. He came to save. And he came as the final sacrifice. I'm reminded of the story about the elementary school that was preparing to have a Christmas pageant for all their parents. And all the important parts were given out to the brightest students, the smartest, the, the smartest kids, the, the smartest girl was chosen to be Mary. The smartest boy played Joseph. And then the next smartest group, they got to play the wise men and the angels and the shepherds. You know how this goes. Well, there was one part that nobody wanted. It was the innkeeper. None of the kids wanted to play the innkeeper. Nobody wanted to be the bad guy to turn away Mary and Joseph. 
So they gave the part to a boy who was a little bit slower than the others, but he had a big heart. And the day for the pageant approached, and, and the boy was playing the innkeeper. He began to worry. He couldn't, he couldn't imagine telling Mary and Joseph that, that there was no room in the inn. And as, as he watched the story unfold on stage, it, it began to really burden his heart that he was going to have to turn them away. What was he going to do? Finally, it, w- it was his part. Parents and relatives and friends had packed the auditorium and they proudly watched the story just unfold as the children skillfully carried out their important roles of the Christmas story. And the innkeeper grew more and more anxious and the pressure mounted as Mary and Joseph approached. He didn't know what to do, but, but somehow I think he caught a brief glimpse of, of the story through God's eyes. When Mary and Joseph knocked on the door, The scruffy little innkeeper threw open the door and shouted with a big smile, Come on in, I've been expecting you. (laughs) And with that, the crowd cheered and clapped, and the play came to an end. Maybe this is more in line with what God had in mind to fulfill the prophecy. Jesus has, he's been born in Bethlehem in humble circumstances. You see, the, the neat thing about this story is that Caesar actually thinks that he himself was in charge of the world at that time. He thought, he thought well, you know, here I am, but, but we know he wasn't in charge. God knew what he was doing, even using something as benign as a census to bring about this story, this amazing story of love coming down. You see, for the children of Israel, the wait is over. In a stable surrounded by farm animals, Jesus is born. The heavens rejoiced as angels announced his birth. Shepherds raced to the humble manger. Magi come later to the house following the star to worship the new king. Today in the city of David, a savior is born. The Messiah, the Lord. Exactly according to plan. Exactly according to God's plan. Not to save face for Mary and Joseph, not, but to save a nation. To save you and to save me. Emmanuel came just like that last tree. He came to point the way to God. But more than that, he came in the manger so that he could be the way. He became the way for us to get to God. This Christmas today don't miss it more than that more than not missing it accept it he became the way for us to get to god you see the god of the universe has a plan for us and as we revel in all the gifts that we open this morning let's accept this gift of god's son who came so that we might have life and have it to the full The only question that needs to be answered today on Christmas is have you any room for Jesus? And whatever that looks like for you, answer this question. And when you walk out of here, live out your answer in a way that will honor him. That's why he came. And now we know, and our job is to share that gift with everybody we meet.